0: Welcome to Translation Confidential. This is Peter Argandizo and Patrick Daly. All right. So we would be remiss if we didn't talk about AI. Seems like everybody's talking about AI. So today's going to be sort of a broad discussion in, on AI. Um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what we're seeing out there in terms of customer requests, requests. Uh, vendor concerns uh you name it a little bit about what we learned in the landscape so patrick why don't you kick us off
1: yeah this is kind of uh a little bit of more opinion stuff at the front end i do i will weave in some news as well though um i just think it's super fascinating to see how this is all gonna play out it's it's great technology um and as we'll get into a little bit later just how it will be applied will be super interesting um kind of some of the thoughts I had as we were prepping for the show is I kind of view it as, as a generational shift. Um, And this is where news comes into. I saw a recent article talking about how a lot of companies are pulling back on their electronic vehicle um, promises. Um, And I think, you know, 10 years ago it was like, holy cow, EVs are going to replace gas cars immediately. Uh, But what people didn't necessarily think through is, you know, there's a gas station on every corner where are people going to charge their cars? They didn't really think through all the other things that go into like, yes, you can produce EVs at this rate, but you know, everything else needs to catch up to it. And it's kind of interesting. We talk a lot about the pendulum swing of like, it went pretty heavily EV. And I think it's getting back into the middle now where people are like, I've seen stories too. It's, you know, two days after people get their EV, they're like, yeah, the battery died and it was 14 grand to fix it. And they're like, Cost of ownership for a gas car is cheaper, um, so it's it's interesting to me to see kind of some of these generational shifts. Um, well, as there's, a,
0: and there's out, there's outside factors, right, Patrick? Mm-hmm. Like you bring up a really interesting point because I read that a similar article about the EV switch was Hertz mm-hmm. uh, getting rid of a third of their things, and they're like, well, it kind of makes sense, right? And and interestingly, they're a huge part of Tesla's annual sales, from what I understand. And what they were saying is, is they're more expensive to fix. They're more expensive to maintain. And this is really interesting. People going from gas cars to electric cars um, are more apt to have an accident. Because, and it's like really simple things. Like, well, you don't know the car's on because you can't hear it. Some of the cars are, I didn't even know this. Some of the cars are one pedal driving. Like there's not really a brake. You just drop off the gas and drop off the gas. It's almost an immediate stop. Like you have to learn how to feather the gas to use it as your braking mechanism. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. The other thing is they're really fast. Like even the base Tesla uh, is faster. It has a faster zero to 60 time than a BMW 330 EI. And if you get the souped up Tesla, it's faster than most performance cars in terms of zero to 60 time. And because it's got this massive array of batteries, it's heavier. So like it makes sense that you've got a heavier, faster car that nobody knows how to drive. Yeah, more accidents. So it's interesting. None of those things have anything to do with like how you feel about electric cars. But yet it becomes a business decision that hurts. is like, yeah, we're not doing that.
1: Well, and I mean, and the heavier point too, like it puts more stress on the roads that we're putting out there. And like, again, it's just these kind of unintended consequences that people, it seems like we'd we collectively, the collective, we haven't thought this through and like, well, it's kind of like at this point we're like, well, duh, no wonder it didn't like take off as, as much as we thought it would. Um, and even like, I saw more, more bad press coming out too, of like, with how very, very cold it's been in Chicago recently, yes, like there yes, were yes, huge yes. lines at EV chargers cause they can't hold as much of a charge during the cold. Um, so it's just fascinating. And, and I think change can be good change can be bad um this kind of sparked in my mind of uh as a millennial i i see a lot of articles too about what things or industries that millennials have quote unquote killed um but i i find it interesting too just as many i think that happens with any generation um like just as many new industries have been stood up um i took down a few notes of like Millennials aren't as big on beer, but they're big on seltzer, Uh, not as big on napkins, but paper towels, Um, you know, not as big on cable TV, but talk to a millennial and see how many streaming services they're paying for. Um, And then another interesting one is kind of the fitness industry where not as many millennials are sold on going to like the big kind of do it yourself gyms. Uh, They're really more focused on like the specialized. So think like a spin studio, a yoga studio. They really want to get just that one thing that they really, really want. Um, And again, I think change can be good. It can be bad. Um, And again, with AI, I think it's just going to be really fascinating to see where it's used and where it's used the most and what the result of it being used in those, in those cases will be.
0: Absolutely. There's so many unintended consequences, right? So I think those are all great examples of, well, you know, one industry standing up and becoming very popular could have a negative impact on this other. So now you might not be able to find a product that used to find, oh my gosh, I used to find whatever it is, and now nobody buys it. So then it's not there anymore. And I think there's interesting, even, you know, we talked about this in a previous podcast is, you know, one of the things that I read, which was awesome is because generative AI has a feedback loop. And as more people started using the AI engine, it got dumber. (laughs) I thought that was great. I mean, so, you know, that's like an unintended consequence. Um, And I think there's going to be more of those. And I think we have to worry as a society, right? As we have to worry a little bit about if we all lean harder on tools um, like this, do we as a society become less intelligent? Do we as a society... You know, and, and again, I think we spoke about this in one of the previous podcasts is coding, right? Uh, I, I was talking to our CTO. He's like, well, there's all these tools that you can use that sit on top of your applications that help you write blocks of code. And he's like, "As a, if, if I were a new coder today, I'd be a little concerned because I think there's so much learning in writing all those lines of code, right? And in, in, in learning and having to write these basic functions without the assistance. I mean think of it this way how many of us know phone numbers anymore like nobody knows a phone number like in the old days you had to memorize all the damn phone numbers because well i gotta call patrick let me dial up his number i have no idea what your number is patrick i just put patrick in my phone and suddenly i'm talking to you so no i think what i
1: think of there too is kind of it's you mentioned it of like knowing the foundation it's like most people know you know foundational math addition subtraction multiplication division and that when you put things on top of it can go so far in so many different directions, but you need to know the basics in order to do all of the kind of advanced and, and crazy stuff that you can do with math. Like if you don't know the the simple things, like you said, the the mm-hmm. foundational elements, none of the other stuff really matters because you can't get there without the foundation.
0: I think this sets the stage perfectly for the discussion today, Patrick. So I thought maybe we could jump into kind of why, like, what are some of the reasons why AI makes sense? And I, and I think that's, like, really important, right? Because I think there has to be some reasons that drive your decisions, right? All too often, I think now, you're getting customers, buyers, procurement people who just realize that, hey, if I use the word AI, it's kind of sexy. It's going to save me some money, I can go to management and say, hey, you know, we're using AI-enabled workflows and we're saving this much. And But there's there's truth behind that. Like you need to look at, you know, why am I using this AI thing? What does it improve? I think it's a huge mistake. I think some people are looking like, well, gosh, if I use AI, I don't need copywriters anymore. Well, that's misguided, right? That, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, I think it's important for people to look at you know why is it that adding this workflow this ai function this ai enabled program to my suite of tools you know how does that help me what is it, does it does it help me provide a better product does it help me save some money does it help me you know get through projects quicker and i, th- I think that's the important part um I, I don't i don't what do you think patrick
1: yeah i mean i'm i'm thinking of it from the perspective of a translator too, of if you can get these AI tools to kind of live, like we talked about on top of your work, that's going to increase your output. You could even in theory, decrease your rates because your output is higher. You'll still get the same amount of of money, but you can get more jobs or you get more work from, from prospective buyers of translation. So like, I think the name of the game with, with using AI, especially as it relates to translation or content, is just how does it make, the people in the loop more efficient and how can they spend more time doing the thing that they're specialized in, as opposed to maybe some of those administrative tasks that might not be revenue generating tasks that you want people to focus on?
0: Absolutely. Uh, And I think that's, to me, that's the important thing. And I think as an organization, uh, especially one that provides services, I think we need to be able to work up and down the chain. You know, I've used the term "gateway drug." That AI or neural machine translation workflows, to me, are essentially a gateway drug, and I think it's even a little bit more than that. And when I say gateway drug, because I think you have corporations that say, "Huh, I wonder if we translate, you know, will we get more revenue? You know, we, we, I know we 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 sell in Mexico, but weird, we we don't have any sales." and they have like nothing, you know, they don't have, they have no no resources on their website, their instructions are poorly translated, or they have very, very minimal or whatever it is. If they start to make a commitment there, and they see a gain in revenue, and that commitment can always start with a lower level of service. But then, you know, you can work all the way up and down the food chain and say, hey, this is a really high value project. It's, I don't know, the UI that goes into our device, we need it to be spot on. Well, let's Let's work all the way up to the top of the food chain and use human translation, human editing. Sure, maybe you use some AI tools to do QA, but you're kind of bringing out the A team instead of kind of the the C team. Yeah, I mean that's okay.
1: I think a great use case there too. um, We talk about it pretty frequently is you know glossaries and term bases and and checking against those. I think AI is is really really good for you know. Checking let's say a full translation against a term base or um a glossary to make sure that you're using the terms correctly and you're not kind of veering from that. I think that's a phenomenal use case. I know translation management systems can do that now to a degree, but like we said, this is kind of like the next layer up of like AI can do it a lot faster and in theory a lot better
0: absolutely and 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 I think that's that's the key is helping the AI enabled workflow. So if you're using some form of engine, so in this case, like I think a great example is learning from past human verified transactions. So the, just this week, uh, our production team is building a neural machine translation engine for a client. That's been a client for 29 years. You can imagine the size of their translation memory. It is 300,000 sentences. So that's an amazing uh, body of content. So what we're doing is we're taking the 300,000 sentences and we're importing it into a neural machine translation engine. It'll, By the way, it'll take about 72 hours to build. And when it does that, you're going to see a significant gain in the level of quality that comes out of a machine translation workflow. And this client expressed that they have a lot more translation needs moving forward. They're going to increase their spend and they want to be able to work up and down the line in terms of level of quality on translation. It makes complete sense. But the the key there is is that we didn't just abdicate to a machine translation and say, hey, have at it. No, you, you have a strategy now, if a client is new to translation and, you know, certainly say, well, all right, well, your machine translation engine isn't going to be as effective. One of the things we need to do is, you know, analyze the content you have. Um, like you say, build glossaries, try to build some human verified content to make it better. Um, but you you work with what you have, right?
1: Yeah. And if, if it's the client I'm thinking of, which I have a sneaking suspicion it is, um, it's also interesting to note too, I think, they go into multiple languages. So it's not just 300 segments from English to let's say Spanish. I mean, you're looking at at millions and millions of sentences that will be in there and, and training this engine. So i like you said, it, it can be very, very powerful.
0: Yeah. That's 300,000 source sentences. Um, but then right when you attach the translations, uh, it, it's quite a bit more obviously because it's in, I think five languages. So it, it, it is a lot, but I mean, you'll get, a really good improvement. and I think that's just smart strategy. And I think that's the thing. I think all too often people, you know, read a little blurb in media or, oh, this AI thing, you know, I guess you just flip a switch and suddenly, you know, everybody loses their job. No, that's not how it works. Um, and we've been here before. This is not new in history, right? If you look at, um, you know, factories and where factories used to be, and then, you know, Ford, modernized the, uh, you know, the, 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 the workflow of a factory, right? They, they, we're going to introduce machines and this is what we're going to do. And all right. Every, oh gosh, everybody's going to lose their job. Well, no, of course not. Just things change. Like you
1: say, things, things change. Um, yeah, I mean, people, most people aren't necessarily riding around on horses anymore, but almost, almost everyone has a car or some sort of public transit that they're taking.
0: A- absolutely and and i think what's great to me is if you think back to that you know that type of technology was only available to ford right right i mean it was only available to companies that had a certain wherewithal what's cool about these types of movements is yeah absolutely You know, the big guys have an advantage at creating a language learning model because they have girth, right? They have development resources. Microsoft can say, great, by the way, great podcast. Uh, Bill Gates has one. It's called Unconfuse Me, I think. And he goes over certain topics. And he had Sam Altman on recently from ChatGPT. And he talked about how Microsoft was one of the few companies that could have been the lead investor in ChatGPT because... Uh, not very many companies have the girth or the money to back a product like that that is, you know, is pre, pre-product. In other words, when OpenAI started, hey, this is our model. This is what we want to build. This is what we want to do. Well, they knew they weren't going to be making money for a long time. So it took someone like the girth of Microsoft to do that. Well, Well, here's the good news for small and medium-sized businesses. You can then take advantage of that. You can get a license with ChatGPT, or you can get a license with a company like, I'm just thinking of like LQA tools, localization quality assurance tools, like Content Quo, or you can use a translation management engine like DeepL or Microsoft's Azure. Um, you know how much money they put in to build that those neural machine translation engines and the ability for you to import content and train a machine translation engine, you can work off of their back and for a small investment, you can leverage those assets. So even small businesses can can, can participate. Um, so anyway, it obviously increases the quality. Um, also, I think one of the important things to think about is You know, why do these improvements occur? occur? And one of the things that I think AI brings to the table is an understanding of context, right? Like in the old days with statistical machine translation, um, you know, it's just this word equals this. Incredibly literal translation, right? Instead, with a neural machine translation engine that's been fully trained, it understands context because it ingests entire documents. And I think that's a huge uh, move to bring on quality. Uh, Patrick in your world what what kind of tools are you you know seeing out there what's uh, I know you've mentioned a few in the past but maybe you could spend some time on that
1: yeah I think um, our our content team is is really leaning into it uh, they're kind of leading the charge of you know how to use it how to use AI responsibly um, and again we we've, we've kind of hit this over the head but it's not a situation where you give AI a prompt and say write me a 500 word blog post about whatever and then just give it to the client back. Like, Here you go. Anyone can do that. It's the same kind of thing with Google translate, right? Like everyone has access to Google translate. You can dump whatever is in and then you're kind of stuck with whatever is, is put out of there. But I think it's good for, for brainstorming. Uh, it's really, really good for research um, and really kind of either refining things. I know and at times I've even used it to of like, um. I write something I'm like oh that sounds too negative and I'm like make this sound nicer and it does a great job of kind of cleaning it up and polishing it up and just giving me a little bit of a different viewpoint on saying the exact same thing that I want to say but in a different way that that might come across better to to whoever I might be dealing with
0: yeah that's an amazing uh way to use the tool I think works really really well in that way I know I've uh I've even run exactly, I've run some social media posts or, hey, what's a different way of saying this or just using it for brainstorming and optimizing is really, really good. And I mean, again, it's that level of understanding. So, um, you know, how you write those prompts are so incredibly important. And I think, you know, just if you think of the fact that it's using common language now in the old days, you know, you would have to um, like execute something and it'd be, you know, it would be like a command as part of a software. It's all, you know, a software package and it's already defined, like, please do this. Well, here you're actually giving instructions. I think the the, the trick though is, and I know you and I talked about this, uh, when we were working on show notes is, you know, how much of it do you believe? Right. Cause it's like, Oh, it's like, I'm having a conversation with a friend. Hey, uh, What's the best restaurant in Phoenix? Well, I don't know. Where, where, does, that, where does that build from? Like, I don't, I, I don't know. It's like if you ask your friend in Phoenix, hey, what's the best restaurant? What if your friend hates Italian food and really there's this great Italian restaurant? He's, he's completely eliminated that because he can't stand Italian food. So I think that's kind of a, a nuance to it as well, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, does it, does it come down to who has the best SEO and page ranking of like what's showing up first on Google based on like your prompt, I would be fascinated to, it's kind of nerding out, but get a little bit more into the details of how, I know the example we talked about was if you just type in, what's the best translation company, obviously you'll get that first paragraph and last paragraph of like, I was only trained up to 2021. So check real websites to make sure that I'm not lying to you. And the last one's like, you know, this depends on many factors. So whatever might be most important to you, but it's still, I mean, I asked that question and it spit out six translation agencies. So, again, like, how do you put stock in that? Do you need document translation, video translation, telephonic interpretation, in-person interpretation? I think it would be amazing to, to compare that prompt to if you search for, you know, who's, who's the best telephonic interpretation provider for jobs in Chicago. You'd get a very, very different response.
0: Well, and I think that brings up some of the ethical concerns, right? Because, you know, when Google search came out, right? Oh, this is awesome. This is an index of the internet. Yeah, well, then there's Google ads, right? So, um, you know, you can skip to the front of the line. If you have enough money, you can just skip to the front of the line. And what does that cost per click? And, you know, there's all those... uh, um, you know, there's all those, uh, those of course, you know, buyer beware sort of things is like, gosh, you can search for a name of a business and some other business comes up as the first hit. Like you can actually buy competitive keywords. You can it's like,
1: steal, steal their keywords.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's out there, you can find it. So the question becomes at what point, you know, does chat GPT or, or, you know, other models like this say, Hey, by the way, um, we can move you up in the rankings for these, you know, seventeen prompts. If someone asks what's the best Italian restaurant in Phoenix, well, for a few bucks we can we can include you in the list every time that question comes up. And I'm sure it's gonna be more than a few bucks.
1: Could <laughs> happen. Yeah, I think I think that's a great analogy of using Google though, right? Like it its function and when it came out was probably not necessarily to be bringing in ad revenue, but that's just kind of where it got taken and, and where the application of the technology went, um, and then it becomes who knows Google the best, right? And that's mm-hmm. kind of where you get where you get your money makers of you know SEO agencies and and people who are able to you know drive more traffic to your website, which hopefully drives more sales. But they do that by improving your search engine rankings. So it's it's fascinating how much impact that something as, you know, kind of groundbreaking as just indexing the internet can change to like, how do we game the system to show up first when someone searches for the best, best restaurant in Phoenix?
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, since we're kind of on the ethical concerns, I mean, you know, there's copyright infringement. I know, Patrick, you've talked about tools out there that, you know, are like plagiarism checkers to make sure. And gosh, you saw there was that New York Times uh, lawsuit against open AI. They, were able to discover and find some cases where there was, you know, direct plagiarism uh, as results that came from prompts. But, you know, there's deep fakes and there's miss, you know, now with, uh, uh, the, the image generation that you can make, you know, are you even looking at a human, you know, that, that's, I, I, I don't know. Or, you know, are you really looking at Tom Cruise? You know, th- obviously uh, there's th- that, there's that unfortunately with deep fakes and, and, um, basically misuse of results. I mean, what, what was this a few years ago? I, I, and I forget exactly the details, but someone someone had hot, hotwired uh, um, Google that if you searched for the devil, like some politician came up or something like that. So, uh, you know, that's obviously some engineer with a sense of humor. Well, okay. Well, if some doesn't have a sense of humor, there's really malfeasance and they have access to the back end of one of these tools. And they
1: hotwire it to do certain things for certain props. I mean, that was—I could- uh, have some great examples of those because those always crack me up. Uh, one of my favorite ones is if you used to ask Siri, uh, "Where is sadness in Cleveland?" It would show you the football stadium because they <laughs> someone again trained it to to say that the Browns equal sadness. Um, another oh, good one. don't was, like Joe Flacco. Come on. <laughs> another good one was uh I know Apple's autocorrect came under fire. Uh, if you typed in lardass, it would correct to Kardashian, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> uh, but again, like like you said, <laughs> like if people can figure that out, that's that's an issue. Um, and I think kind of going back to the Google example, I think it's it's interesting how this is all going to play out. I know especially in in europe uh the eu is very very big on privacy and gdpr compliance and i think uh i think i've seen articles that say like internet cookies are basically going to slowly be eliminated so like that's going to have an impact on google's ad business because they're cooking you they're seeing like if you're looking for let's say other things in phoenix like here's an ad for a restaurant in phoenix here's an ad for a hiking trail in phoenix Um, so it'll be super fascinating to see how that all kind of plays out in the long run. Yeah, very much. So it could have implications obviously on,
0: um, you know, obviously uh, across the whole industry in terms of advertising, in terms of even, you know, what happens with AI, like there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on how these things are trained, uh, moving forward. And as more competitors enter the market, obviously, um, I, I guess it'd be a good place to kind of tie a ribbon around the conversation, Patrick, if we said, Hey, you know, what are, what are some ideas about how organizations can look at AI and what can they look at to uh, say, jump in and, 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 you know, my suggestion would be is, you know, to look for something small, I I would start small and pick a relatively low risk project and, and piggyback off of something that somebody's already done. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's very expensive, uh, very dangerous in terms of the financial health of your organization to say, Hey, I'm just going to hire three developers and we're going we're gonna, to, we're, gonna, we're going to, we're going to work on AI, whatever that means. We're going AI. Well, no, pick a goal. I mean, look at a part of your business, Patrick, you had mentioned, you know, you work for a company that creates content, right? So QA tools, uh, plagiarism checkers, uh, you know, there, there's, stuff out there that you can buy off the shelf that you can add into your process a lot of really really popular tools are now adding ai uh trello grammarly um gosh you know there's just two off the top of my head uh type form form which we use to create forms like yeah you want me to improve this which i love right it's like a little self-conscious are you making a judgment on what i'm writing you know but hey you're you 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 hit improve and yeah, sometimes it makes some nice adjustments.
1: Yeah, that's uh, you you brought up another application that I thought of too. Um, specifically for content, a lot of our our clients we have um, either style guides or rules. It's like, do they use the Oxford comma? Can their brand name be possessive and things like that? And I think you can again train these engines. Be like, here are the rules, and then make sure I follow the rules. Uh, and you can dump in a huge piece of content and be like tell me what rules I might've broken. You go fix it. Boom. You're back right where you need to be. Um, so yeah, I think there's all sorts of applications for it. Um, one I'm thinking of too, um, I know a lot of people who, who work at a a marketing agency, their biggest beef is always that they have to do time entry and log all their hours. So I think it'd be really cool if, if there was an AI tool that could look at my calendar and be like, Here's how I want to bill your time. Go clean it up and fix it. That would make time entry for me so much easier than having to go through and manually put in, you know, my fifteen minute blocks a day on this client and whatever it might be. So that would be um, amazing, wouldn't it, Patrick?
0: What a great idea. It would look through your calendar, and just as long as you, you know, in your the title of your 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 task had like the client name as it matched up to a system, that maybe it would do like eighty percent of your timesheet. Right. It's like, like
1: – and it would take Got some it. training, obviously, of how I build my calendar and, and title events and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, we do That'd it cool. based on based on the project name. Um, so if you could do that and even like, so yeah, it's project name and then task name on it. Um, so yeah, that would be like an administrative task that admittedly not many people like doing. So if you can take that kind of burden off their plate and save, you know, however many agency employees, however many hours a day. That that could be huge.
0: Oh, that would be such a cool tool. See, and I think that's what we're going to end up seeing is that people are going to create tools that really save administrative time. I know our own personal mantra and mission, uh, as we've created developments, as you know, Mark has created different tools for us to use, has always been, "Hey, how do we how do we get rid of the administrative stuff? Like nobody likes doing it. I'm sure nobody." at your place or places like yours, Patrick, you're like, oh, awesome. I have to do my timesheet today. This sounds like a lot of fun. Nobody's doing that. Right. Nobody's and I, saying that. <laughs>
1: but I mean, you hear that from executives too of, of how important time entry is and how important that data mm-hmm. is to drive business decisions. So like, it's not just to necessarily be like, oh, we're taking this, you know, slight annoyance off of people's play. It's like, this is going to impact decisions that the organization makes based on your time entry. So- like, yes, it, it, a lot of people kind of roll their eyes at it, but it is it is very, very important for kind of the executive level who's reviewing all of that data and making decisions based off of it.
0: Absolutely. And I think I, I think that's where we're going to see advancement is on the fringes. And some of this stuff isn't going to be very sexy. You know, what is like super sexy is, oh, I just upload a document and I get it back in 13 languages or I ask it to write a press release. And, you know, errors and all, whatever it might be, plagiarism and all, people look at it and go, wow, that's amazing. Well, what would be really amazing is what we just described, right? If someone could aut- help automate, you know, t- timesheet creation or some of these administrative tasks, it could actually have more impact on an organization.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm thinking too of even um, some of the automations that are that are in place for you of like, when you close a project, you press a button, it closes the project, it sends the client an email, it generates an invoice, it generates the RCP report. Like that's four things that someone in theory would have to do, but there's the script that's written and it's perfected that it goes, okay, all those four things, click the button, done. And with the volume of projects that that any agency handles, I mean, just think of how much time you save that, you know, your PM doesn't need to go to your accounting team, like, hey, this project's done, email the client an invoice. They don't need to go find the link on the file share system and share it with the client. Say, hey, write the email. Hey, your project's done. It's all templated. And like we said, it's that, that sweet spot of administrative work that you can just click a button and you get those four tasks done in a second.
0: A- absolutely. Uh, always been a big mission for us. I mean, there's no way we would manage over 5,000 projects with you know, 13 PMs, right? It wouldn't happen unless we had that level of automation. So um, yeah, great example, Patrick. Well, I think we're we're at our time. I We could talk about this for hours and we will. Um, if you stay tuned to this podcast this year, this won't be the last one on AI. I can almost guarantee that. We'll look to get some guests um, this year speaking on the topic with us as well. But Patrick, uh, what's your biggest takeaway from today?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we've we've kind of beat this drum a lot too with machine translation um, over the years, but it's really like to have real, realistic expectations and know what you're going to get if depending on what you put in. So I know we've talked about garbage in, garbage out. Um, so just really realize that, um, I don't know how to describe it, Maybe unencumbered AI is going to be pretty uh, dicey at best, but... If you kind of, uh, you know, do some prompt massaging and really kind of clarifying, it might take you a few tries to get to the place where you want to be. It's not going to necessarily out of the box be like, okay, I'm done. One prompt, one prompt in, one prompt out, I'm done. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that that's really good, Patrick. I mean, for me, I guess, I don't know, there's a lot of takeaways, but I guess my biggest one is to understand that, hey, listen, AI uh, just out of the box um, it's certainly okay for like, I would say smaller administrative tasks, but if you're looking for, uh, things that are customer facing, I mean, be careful, right? I mean, if you can just, I think with anything you do, right, if you just flip a switch and suddenly it becomes your deliverable, well, yeah, that's not going to work. So it's not a good idea. It's not a good business practice. doesn't make a lot of sense, but look into the deeper functions of AI where you can do customization, you can use, you can leverage all the work that you've done for thirty years for a client and make that better. Look for the ways that you can improve the technology, and then use it uh, for things that you would actually deliver to the client. Um, so I, I thought that was probably maybe the biggest idea for for me. But um, but uh, this is a great episode, Patrick. Uh, thank you so much for everyone for joining us and. Um, This concludes this episode of Translation Confidential. Thanks for joining us.